Hello, and welcome to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins, the podcast where we anticipate an experience with the Lord on each and every episode. Thank you so much for listening today, and my prayer is that you will be strengthened, encouraged, and challenged in your daily walk with the Lord as you listen. The primary purpose for this podcast is to be a source of inspirational truth that will awaken a deeper hunger within you for the fire of God to burn brighter and hotter in your life. Leviticus 6.12 says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This Old Testament verse spoke into the sacrificial burnt offering system of the temple, and it also reflects the fact that we as the bride of Christ are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have a responsibility to steward our walk with God and maintain His flame that He has ignited in our hearts. I am your host, Keith Collins, and I invite you to join me now as we explore biblical truths that will help us to maintain the flame of God upon the altar of our hearts. Hello and welcome to Maintain the Flame once again. I am Keith Collins, and I am blessed to know that you're listening this week. I trust that you and your family and your friends and maybe even your church community that you had a blessed Resurrection Day a blessed Easter season, and that that the resurrection, the power of the resurrection was present throughout that time. And, you know, one thing I think we need to remember is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just a holiday that we call Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Of course, we, we celebrate a day each year where we specifically remember the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that he conquered death, hell, and the grave through coming forth out of that tomb after being in there for three days. He rose from the dead, which was miraculous to say the least, and he is the resurrection. He is the life. However, it's important to know that it's not just once a year that this is a reality and that this is pertinent, but every day we should live in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, there are Many religious leaders that have lived throughout the generations, whether that be Muhammad or whether that be Confucius or any other religious leader, and there have been many, many throughout the years, and some have even claimed to be deity, some have have claimed to be God incarnate, and, um, you know, a lot of these people have claimed some some form, again, of, of deity, however, none of them upon death rose from the dead there's only one that rose from the dead and that is our lord our master our savior the creator of the universe jesus christ of nazareth rose from the dead and the bible is clear that we have been crucified with christ right but we've also been resurrected with christ to walk in newness of life and to walk in the power of that reality. So I don't know where you're at in your walk with the Lord today. Maybe you're struggling with things. Maybe you're in the midst of a, of a battle. Maybe you're being persecuted for your faith. Maybe you are even suffering because of the gospel, depending upon where you're at around the world. And we know that there are many people around the world that, that listen to this, this broadcast. But let me encourage you that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is available to you today. That it's not just something that happened many, many years ago, 2,000 plus years ago, but 
that resurrection power, that truth, that that reality is still foundational and it's still available, that you can walk in that power. And even, again, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of trials, we, we look throughout the history of the church, whether it be the early apostles, that even through persecution, even through martyrdom, we see the power of the resurrection active in their lives, in their calling, their ministry. We see the history of the church, the early church leaders that many of them went through such persecution, but we also see the power of the resurrection even in their lives, and even some that were martyred for the faith. I remember years ago reading the story of one of the reformers, a man by the name of John Huss, and John Huss was burned at the stake for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result, as he's being burned to death, history says that he literally lifts his melting hands, his melting nubs out of the fire, and began to slap them together and sing a song of the church or sing a glorious hymn of the church. So my point is this, friend. We live, we walk in, we preach from, we prophesy from, we sing in, we testify through the power of the resurrection. And my prayer is that even as now we are beyond what we call the traditional Easter or resurrection season, that that you would realize that this is your time to know that power in every area, every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, every year of your life, friend. So may the power of the resurrection be yours more and more and more. Amen. Last week, I began to talk to you about the subject of revival, and I I got into it a little bit, but there's so much on my heart that I feel like I need to share regarding this important subject, and I want to take a few weeks, I don't know, maybe three or four weeks, and see how the Lord leads this, but I feel like that this subject has kind of been resurrected in my heart, as it were, and I've always had a heart for revival. I told you last week that if you could really give me a title, and I don't believe, I don't even like titles, but if you could give me a description or a title, it would be revivalist, and I burn with a hunger for revival, where the Lord just literally invades a people, invades a region, invades a city or a nation, and He wakes the church up, and as a result, oftentimes we've seen historically that even the nation is brought to spiritual awakening as the the weighty, heavy holiness of God is manifested through his church and then it even is revealed sometimes we see in the streets in retail places i mean i've i remember the brownsville revival um i was there for several hundreds of meetings but oftentimes after the meetings and they would end sometimes midnight or even one o'clock two o'clock in the morning but there were a few restaurants that were that would stay open because they knew the re- people from the revival would be coming oftentimes to grab a, a bite to eat after the revival meeting. But I remember multiple times watching even as those that waited on our tables would be impacted by the presence of God. I'm not talking about something strange, but I mean just the the presence of the Lord upon those that were just sitting at a booth or at a table eating. Um, the glory of the Lord was so intense that sometimes the those taking our orders could not even write our orders down because they would begin to shake under the power of God. And that might sound strange to some of you, but I challenge you to study history. I challenge you to study the history of the 
the Welsh Revival that started in 1904. And you will see how it literally invaded that little land called Wales, part of the United Kingdom, connected, of course, to England and to Scotland. But, but anyhow, you study the history of this great move of God, and you will see that it literally invaded the entire region of that part of the world. And it wasn't just the church houses or places that people would gather for corporate worship or maybe prayer meetings and homes. God was clearly present there. But in the bars or the pubs, they call them there, in the restaurants, in the government buildings, in the, the str- or on the streets. I mean, people would be overcome with the presence of God and deep conviction was often a, um, a clear sign that God was moving and people would be so overcome with the Holy Spirit and the holiness of God that, that they would be arrested, maybe walking down the street or maybe drinking in a pub. And remember hearing a story where they, um, they had animals, like I think they were donkeys or mules, I think donkeys, that would literally pull the coal from the coal mines back in those days. And they would pull the coal carts out with the coal. And the men that would work in the mines had trained these animals with um, sometimes profane words or, or what we would call curse words or cuss words, depending on where you're from. But anyhow, but these men were so glorious redeemed, so gloriously saved, that they refused to use foul language anymore. So they had to retrain these animals or different animals maybe to come in and to pull the coal out. And that's, that's, just, a, um, that's just a sign of what happens when God begins to move. When the church is revived and when a region or a nation or a city is awakened and transformed by the glory of God. So when I talk about revival, friend, I'm not talking about people just filling the church and filling the joy of the Lord and the pews or the seats being filled and the parking lot busting with people because there's so many cars and um, all that's fine and that can happen, but that is not revival. You can have that with a a talented worship group that, that people love, or you can have that with a popular preacher that's really no more than a motivational speaker that people adore and they they're drawn to them maybe you know the bible talks about that people would have itching ears they would long to come and listen to people that that soothe them in their sin and that would soothe their conscience even though they weren't right with god so it doesn't take revival to draw a crowd a lot of times it just takes good marketing and polished professional speaking and and good talent on the platform and and you can draw a crowd you can you can execute a good marketing plan based on demographics in the region that you live in around the world and and you can plant what they call what we call a church and you can cater to people um, by way of you know social engineering so to speak and you can pull a crowd in but friend that's not revival revival is not a packed house revival is the invasion of the presence of God among his people that oftentimes brings about deep contrition deep humility deep repentance um, deep conviction, and and in the midst of that, the glory of the Lord takes over. So let me let me start off today by saying this: when it comes to the subject of revival, I believe the most important and consistent element is always the distinct and the sovereign pre- the sovereign presence and glory of God. Now, again, I I I, I had a a bird's eye view or a front seat view, so to speak in the midst of the Brownsville Revival that, that started in 1995, Father's Day of 1995, where God literally invaded a small little, you know, mid-sized little town in Florida called Pensacola, which, by the way, 
is my hometown. I was born there. Some of my family still resides there. My parents still actually have a home there. So Pensacola is my hometown. My earliest memories are from there. So it, it was interesting when when I began, and I was living in another state when this, this started, but it was interesting when I began to hear reports that God was moving in Pensacola, Florida at a church called Brownsville Assembly of God. And Brownsville is just a little community that's a part of of Pensacola proper. It's, it's part of the city of Pensacola, but it's a community known as Brownsville. And when I heard that God was moving there, it piqued my entrance, it, interest. Excuse me. So I went to visit, and actually a dear friend of mine at that time, a Southern Baptist pastor in the Tallahassee, Florida area, south of Tallahassee in Wakulla County, he actually invited me, and I went with him, and my life was was rocked. And listen, I, I was born in the fire. I was born in the midst of revival. I, I was radically saved January of 1985, January the 24th, in a little town in North Florida, in um, Crawfordville, Florida, a little community called Otter Creek at Otter Creek Community Church. And um, the Lord met me there that night. I, I didn't go to get saved. I won't go into a long detail about my testimony, but the bottom line is the Lord found me there. He arrested my heart. I, I was radically and gloriously born again and had a, a long experience with that night with the presence of God. I was a teenage boy. I was into, you know, drinking and drugs and promiscu- promiscuity, you know, things that a lot of teenagers get involved in at a young age. And I was just kind of living for myself and living in lust and, you know, just trying things and doing things that I should not have been doing. But the Lord arrested me that night. And I was born in the fire. I, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit the next night. I, I'd never done it before, but I began to speak and I began to speak in other tongues. And literally it was so supernatural that it was hard for me to even speak in English because that was my experience with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yours might be different than that. But but the bottom line is I was born in the fire. Immediately after I was saved, we began to to pray all night. We began to do street ministry and pray for people and and man god just was was moving my friends began to be impacted our high school was impacted i mean it was it was a glorious time so in 1995 or 1996, I'm sorry, when I went to Brownsville, 11 years after I was born again, there was a sense of of familiarity. However, it was almost like the heat was turned up at least 100 times. And and when I tell people what happened in Brownsville, the the thing that really stands out to to me the the most is the sovereignty, the holiness, and the glory of God. The preaching was powerful. The worship was amazing. I mean, God used Steve Hill. He was a firebrand. He was like a modern-day John the Baptist that, that preached, prepare the way, the Lord is coming. He preached repentance. He preached get right with God. Similar to a lot of the old revivalists of the past, like Finney and different ones, he was he was a firebrand. He came to burn among us in the midst of that season, and he was consumed with the breath of eternity, and God used him in a powerful way. Linda Cooley, the worship leader, was was clearly a uh, a modern-day psalmist that, that the glory of the Lord was upon, and literally, often nights, just by him hitting the first key on the piano, you could literally feel, and I'm not just trying to hype something up. I was there, friend, and I'm not given to hype or emotionalism. If you know me, you know that about me. I mean, I love something that's genuine, and I don't 
mind the power of God impacting people, but but I'm not given just to feeling and emotionalism. But I'm telling you, there were nights when Linda would just hit a key and begin to sing, and literally the glory of the Lord would invade that place. There were times where literally the music was would stop, and there would be a, a silence that would come over hundreds and hundreds of people. Nobody would make a noise, and literally you could hear angelic beings in the rafters of the building singing and worshiping God. No man was singing no woman was singing no instrument was playing and night after night i saw people running to the altar i i brought a satanist to the revival one night who had really a young man that had gone deep into the occult and, and satanic worship and um, i won't go into a lot of detail but bottom line is he was living in a very 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 um sad ominous dark way and literally that night before steve hill even preached the glory of the lord impacted him and it was so powerful he knew demonic power and he knew you know things of the occult but the the power of the holy spirit so impacted his life that he literally before any altar call was given he runs to the front of the church because as he said he'd never felt power like that before and he got radically saved eventually became a youth pastor in a church in south florida so my point is this friend i when i say revival i'm talking about the sovereignty of god where the this invasion of the spirit of god is so so present so when i say revival i think we need to understand that that we can't decide to have or to hold a revival at will just because we want revival you know we we see around especially the south i'm from north florida and actually st- i live in north carolina and still preach quite a bit in the south i mean i preach all over but but i do preach quite a bit in the south and oftentimes you'll see a sign on the side of the road maybe in north florida or alabama or tennessee georgia the carolinas and it'll say revival wednesday through sunday now i have no real problem with that and i know what they mean they mean that we're going to have multiple services and usually there's going to be an evangelist there and he's going to preach the gospel and he's going to give an altar call and 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 god can move in that and he's done that throughout years but when i say revival i don't mean something that we can schedule something that we can um, orchestrate something that we can manage or or I could use the word manipulate. But listen, as, as a dear friend of mine, Dr. Michael Brown has said many times, we can no more hold a real revival than we can hold a real hurricane. In other words, it's sovereign and supernatural. It's a demonstration of God that comes when people enter into desperation for divine assistance. Like I said last week, like Ravenhill said, it's when God shows up. It's when he comes in because he's been so misrepresented by religion and by carnality and by the spirit of this age that that he breaks in to reveal who he really is. But oftentimes, and I'll go into more of this maybe next week, oftentimes, or let let me backtrack, I think every time it's connected to someone or even some group that has paid a price in prayer in intercession sometimes and oftentimes through fasting and they they are so jealous for the glory of the name of jesus to be seen in the midst of their generation in the midst of their church maybe their their community that they get desperate for god and they begin to cry out to him and god responds to their prayers god responds to their desperation we see this in the history of the nation of israel oftentimes israel would go into sin and 
judgment would come upon them and then they would get desperate for God again and you know God would use sometimes judges and then after the judges after that era the prophets came we talked a little bit about Samuel last week but we can see the life of Samuel we can see Jeremiah we can see Isaiah the minor prophets as well in other words God would God would come and bring revival he would restore the people of Israel back to him so when we're talking about revival First of all, again, I said this last week, but it's imperative to understand that it starts in the church. In other words, America cannot have revival, right, unless the church is revived. Um, the United Kingdom can't have revival. The continent of Asia or whatever, or any nation within Asia, whether it be India or China, whatever. In other words, no nation has ever had revival without the church being impacted first. There's there's a pattern that we see. We see this in Chronicles, the, the famous verse, if my people, my people, he says, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. In other words, if Israel would turn from her wicked ways and and get hungry for God and and pray to him, then God hears from heaven and and he he, he responds to them. He comes and he heals their land. Listen, that's a picture of revival. That's a picture of restored fellowship with our creator, with our maker. We see that, again, throughout the history of Israel, but we also see it throughout the history of the church, where the church oftentimes gets cold and they get lethargic and they get worldly and they get ungodly, and, and God has to break in. And what does he do? Well, someone is aroused, and again, this God is sovereign, um, and I think I shared this last week. God is sovereign in, in the sense that he can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, how he wants to do it. However, he tethers himself to our prayers and our willingness to be desperate, to get into a place of holy desperation, a place of hunger and thirst for his glory to be seen. And when a people or a person, oftentimes it's one person or a small group of people that we can trace the history of revival to, but somebody somewhere, some group somewhere, some church somewhere like Brownsville will, will shut down a corporate service and turn that into a prayer meeting for I think over two years and begin to cry out to God week after week after week after week, get humble, get broken, get contrite, get repentive, um, and God hears that, and then God responds to that, and then God comes, and he breaks in, and he does what only he can do through his transcendent sovereignty. His glory is revealed in a season of revival. So when I look at our nation, when I look at the nations of the world, friend, we need revival. We need an invasion of the Holy Spirit. You see, this subject of revival is not one of novelty to me. It's of great importance. It, it, again, it must not be relegated to a mindset that just describes the supernatural work of God in natural terms alone in order to make it a matter of nostalgia or even historical curiosity. The very nature of revival is best understood, as I shared last week, by the, the verse in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29 where the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. Friend, that's a picture of revival to me, that when the Lord begins to move, he's like a, a raging fire that just burns up everything in its path. You know, I've, I've, I've done a little analogy for years when I'm preaching at times, especially when I'm preaching about the fire of God or revival. I'll take a handkerchief or um, a napkin out of my pocket and I'll hold it before the people and open it up. And I'll say, I'll say this, 
if I were to take this napkin or this, this handkerchief outside and build a fire in the parking lot and let that fire get roaring, then drop that handkerchief in that fire and come back in and preach for 30 minutes and then go back out, would I be able to get that handkerchief back? And of course the answer is no. And the reason is because the fire will consume that handkerchief. Friend, that's a picture of revival. Revival burns away the structures and the forms and the ideologies and the programs of man. It it trumps everything that we can do. In revival, God can do more in the area of evangelism in a day than we can do in a hundred years. In revival, God can take you deeper in repentance, even into prayer and intercession, than we can do our, on our own in, in 10 years. And I, I've seen this up front and personal, not just in America, but even in other parts of the world where God has moved. And, and these great moves of God are always connected. Again, they're always fastened or chained to, to desperation in prayer. And listen, the fact is that authentic heaven-sent revival is beyond explanation and comprehension, I believe. It, it literally supersedes the finite mind of humanity. I believe it belongs in an eternal category that is conceived and breathed from the holiness of God's transcendent, sovereign spirit. And why is that? Because the attention and revival, therefore, should never be directed to a personality, to a preacher, to a worship leader, even though the Lord can and will use willing, broken vessels, humble vessels, as he's done throughout history. He clearly used Steve Hill in the Brownsville revival, but but Steve alone could not have brought revival. He clearly used the Brownsville Assembly of God congregation, Pastor John Kilpatrick, who led his people into prayer for over two years. But still, they can't claim the credit for what happened in Brownsville where over 3 million people from every nation of the world showed up and hundreds of thousands of people were radically changed and and churches around the world were impacted. I I still today, as I travel out, it's rare that I go somewhere in the world if people know that I was connected to the Brownsville Revival, and I, I, I literally became a student in the first class and is in the pioneer class I graduated in the pioneer class and then eventually became the president of the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry. So I had this front row seat. But when people know that, many people will tell me how they were so impacted. Either they visited the revival or their pastor did or the family or a member or a friend did and and how their church went into deep prayer and repentance and all these things. So I'm telling you, friend, um, we need revival. It's not about a man, it's not about a purpose or a personality, but it's about the holiness of God. You see, the focus in revival must continually stay upon the Lord, for He is the source or the genesis of every true revival, past, present, or anything in the future. It is imperative to know that He will not and cannot share His glory with humanity in the midst of visitation or revival. This mindset will and I believe has even quenched revival throughout church history. People ask me, why does revival end? I believe one of the main reasons it ends is because men begin to claim the glory for what only God could do and has done. So my friend, when we talk about revival, may our hearts be humble this week. I'm, I'm going to close here for this week, and I, I look forward to being back with you next week. i got a lot more to share with you on this subject. Listen, I'm praying for revival in my nation, in the American church, I'm praying for revival in churches around the world. I'm in nations around the world. I'm connected to many nations. And, and our heart 
is that God would reveal his glory. But listen, where does revival start? It starts inside of you. It starts inside of me. And we don't have to wait for the rest of the church to wake up for us to burn with holy fire, for us to have a passion for the Lord and a passion for revival. So my prayer for you today, and I'm going to pray right now, is that you would be set ablaze with revival fire. Father, burn within our hearts today. Awaken your church. Awaken nations. Awaken churches around the nations, God. Set us ablaze. Set our hearts on fire. And Lord, use us for your glory as never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you for listening to Maintain the Flame today. To learn more about our ministry, you can visit us at keith-collins.org. You can also go, if you want to, to impactgf.org. And on there, you can find a little more about us. But listen, we are blessed to be coming to you week in and week out. We're blessed to know that we are reaching throughout the nations of the world. And my prayer is that each of you would come to a greater knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Again, make sure to join us next week. I have a lot more to share on this subject, and I believe the Lord is going to use this to awaken a hunger within His church for revival. Amen. Hey, we love you. God bless you. And again, we look forward to being back with you on Maintain the Flame next week. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to Maintain the Flame with Keith Collins. I want to ask you to please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you hunger for a greater passion for the Lord that will not dim or subside, then please subscribe and listen weekly to episodes that will encourage you in your walk with God. To learn more about my ministry, please go to keith-collins.org or impactgf.org.